uh, reports from the president and the media is uh, the U.S. carried out an operation uh, yesterday in Syria uh, that killed ISIS leader. I'm not going to say his full name because I'll screw it up. But his last name, Baghdadi. What's his full name? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. I got it? Um, So uh, we took out uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Reports are that he actually killed himself. He he had a suicide vest on, uh, and he detonated his suicide vest with some of his children. And two wives. With some of his children and two wives next to him. So father of the year, I would say. Um, So... I, I don't really pretend there's, there's other people that are way, way better on, on foreign policy and t- counterterror than I am. I don't want to pretend to you that I know every single intricacy. Um, my girlfriend's very good on it. She does it for a living. If, if you'd like to come on, you're welcome. Um, but I will say this. Uh, Kyle Kalinske is very good on this stuff. So is the gray zone. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Um, according to my girlfriend and brief research I did, this is more of a symbolic killing. I want, you know, frankly, if it went bad, if it went badly, the media would be excoriating Trump. So you have to give him some credit. You can't just be deranged and say, no, 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 this doesn't matter. I mean, he's the leader of ISIS. He apparently was not, um, you know, operational or, or leading operations as bin Laden was when he was killed. So he was more of a symbolic leader, but a figurehead. But still, killing him is a good thing. But with that, with that, Trump's press conference this morning, you got to give it up to this man. Honestly, the one thing I like about Trump, and there's so few, is Trump just openly and casually, he just tells the truth about these wars. And I know some people watching, including my, my girlfriend here, is not going to agree with me. But Trump openly, in, these, in this press conference this morning, literally explained our whole entire foreign policy in a nutshell, literally explained the entire military-industrial complex, and he did so without shame. So as opposed to the Reagans, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Obamas, who pretend we're all over the world to spread democracy and you know heal the world and lift people out of poverty and tyranny, Trump just said, yeah, no, it's about the oil. So let's hear uh, from our president uh, about that oil. We don't want to keep soldiers between Syria and Turkey for the next 200 years. They've been fighting for hundreds of years. We're out. But we are leaving soldiers to secure the oil. Now, we may have to fight for the oil. It's okay. Maybe somebody else wants the oil, in which case they have a hell of a fight. But there's massive amounts of oil. And we're securing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it stops ISIS, because ISIS got tremendous wealth from that oil. We have taken it. It's secured. Number two, and again, somebody else may claim it, but either we'll negotiate a deal with whoever's claiming it, if we think it's fair, or we will militarily stop them very quickly. Again, there are plenty of other countries that can help them patrol. I don't want to leave 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 soldiers on the border. But where Lindsay and I totally agree is the oil. The oil is, uh, you know, so valuable for many reasons. It fueled ISIS, number one. Number two, it helps the Kurds, because it's basically been taken away from the Kurds. They were able to live with that oil 
And number three, it can help us, because we should be able to take some also. And what I intend to do, perhaps, is make a deal with an ExxonMobil or one of our great companies to go in there and do it properly. Right now, it's not big. It's big oil underground, but it's not big oil up top. Much of the machinery has been shot and dead. It's been through wars. But uh, and, and spread out the wealth. But no, we're protecting the oil. We're securing the oil. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make a deal at some point. But I don't want to be they're, — they're fighting for a thousand years. They're fighting for centuries. I want to bring our soldiers back home. But I do want to secure the oil. If you read about the history of Donald Trump, I was a civilian. I had absolutely nothing to do with going into Iraq, and I was totally against it. But I always used to say, if they're going to go in, nobody cared that much, but it got written about. If they're going to go in, I'm sure you've heard the statement, because I met him when any human being alive. If they're going into Iraq, keep the oil. He would have been paid back. Hey, give it up for the man. He's pulling back that curtain and just telling you the truth. I think the most truthful thing he said was at the end when he said, when he said, oh, why shouldn't we get some of that oil? So let me, let me point out some of the things that, that he said that are, are fair and true. Uh, that oil was helping ISIS. Uh, or ISIS was uh, using some of that oil. Um, the Kurds thing, that it's going to help the Kurds, that I don't know about. But Donald Trump, before he ran, at least he's being consistent, his main objection to the Iraq war was not that we're going to a, a, a foreign nation under false pretenses, under false reasoning, when there was no concrete intelligence whatsoever that Iraq had anything to do with 9-11, that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, none of this. It was all, you know, fairy dust or, or the, the mushroom cloud uh, from Condoleezza. And Colin Powell, obviously, we know, got suckered, but he went in front of the United Nations. So... He w Donald, Donald Trump was not aghast that we went to a foreign nation and, and invaded f over a lie. A and there were real consequences of that. H thousands of U.S. troops murdered, not to mention how many Iraq veterans have killed themselves uh, since, not to mention hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East that have died as a result of that, not to mention the creation of ISIS in the first place. Donald Trump's not upset over that. He's upset because, well, if we're going to go, why don't you get the oil? Because he thinks like a businessman. And the bottom line is, you know, my girlfriend and others tell me it's more nuanced. Maybe I just look at it as an outsider, as it's not as nuanced as people think. We have invaded many, many countries over the last century for their natural resources, for to, to make sure we have geopolitical dominance in certain regions. That's what John Bolton has wanted to do in Iran. That is what we are. That is why, and we're going to get to this in a minute. Trump has sent troops to Saudi Arabia in the past few months, but it's about the oil. And at least I appreciate, even though Trump is a horrible, horrible leader, even though I'd like to see him uh, lose election, I think he needs to be kicked out of office. Uh, at least he's not pretending that our foreign policy is about what it should be, which is protecting America from an imminent threat. That's what defense is supposed to be about. Of course, you need to monitor other countries. You need to look not just at immediate threats, but long-term threats, uh, creations of jihadi groups, creations of dissent. However, 
sending ground troops, dropping bombs, foments more terrorism. It foments more hate against us. By the way, Trump has doubled down. Google it. Has doubled down on Obama's drone program, which a lot of these generals and a lot of these people think is so great because there's no boots on the ground. But, you know, if your family is getting blown up as collateral damage, which has happened in many of these strikes, it creates more terrorism. But putting, putting this all aside, I just think it's pretty miracu- miraculous. And honestly, I appreciate that when he kills uh, a top, the top ISIS leader, who again, you know, more of a figurehead, not operational, at least he's being honest why the United States is really doing this. It is about the oil. He says... This, and, and also let's point out that he's totally full of beep. When Trump says, well, I'm pulling his troops out, we, you know, we need to stop these forever wars, he might be trying to move troops out of Syria, but he's just sending troops to other places. Corporate media hasn't really reported on this, but this is just in the last six months. In May, Trump sent 1,500 troops to the Middle East amid Iran tensions. Trump said the troops would have mostly protective role as part of a buildup that began this month in response to what the U.S. said was a threat from Iran without providing details or evidence. Quote, we're going to be sending a relatively small number of troops, mostly protective, the president told reporters. Okay, mostly protective, they said. Then, in July, U.S. sends another 500 to Saudi Arabia. The United States is sending hundreds of troops to Saudi Arabia in what is intended as the latest show of force towards Iran. Then, more recently, this, this month, the Trump administration will send nearly 2,000 troops and advanced military equipment to Saudi Arabia to deter threats from Iran. So if I could do the math, you got 1,500 in May, 500 in July, so that's 2,000, and then 4,000 this month, so that would be 1,500, 500, 2,000, another 2,000, 4,000 troops in the last six months have been sent to the Middle East over Iran tensions. 4,000 troops, almost the amount we lost in Iraq. So don't believe Trump. Obviously, Trump is going to push this as part of the election, as keeping a promise to his supporters of being an isolationist, getting out of the wars, yada, yada. He might be trying to pull the U.S. out of Syria, He's sending 4,000 other troops for no reason at all. For those who think Iran is, is a severe, severe threat, that's fine. What I'm saying is there was no evidence that Iran was uh, disobeying or bre- breaking the Iran nuclear deal. One thing that I will give President Obama credit for was that Iran nuclear deal. They were not violating it. Trump, with the, with the help of Bolton, who ironically might actually testify against Trump in front of Congress, Trump let Bolton and these other warmongers heighten and and escalate this tension with Iran for no reason. So we've got 4,000 troops now between Saudi Arabia and other parts of the Middle East for protective roles. Trump is not an isolationist. He's not anti-war. He's not, you know, taking on the military-industrial complex. This is nonsense. I just showed it to you. What he's doing is what he's always done. He's a master marketer. He's a master salesman. He is a master propagandist. So he's 
in fairness, a lot of this is to try and distract from his impeachment stuff. But what he's trying to do is rally up his base and try to talk to those maybe 5 to 10 percent of Democrats, you know, the 5 percent, 5 to 10 percent of Obama's voters that switch to him and say, look, I'm keeping my campaign promises. Look at the Democrats. They're, they're, they're shouting from the rooftops, uh, uh, Russia, bad, you know. We shouldn't be leaving Syria. We shouldn't. Democrats are the war party. I'm getting us all out. Leaving out the fact that he sent 4,000 troops already to the Middle East in six months. So I think to me, the only candidate that actually can contrast to Donald Trump, well, there's two, is Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard. Elizabeth Warren has voted for every monstrous Trump defense budget. The last two, I believe, she voted for. Pete Buttigieg, I mean, what qualifications does this man have to run for president, which we're going to get into? Joe Biden, he is the military-industrial complex. I want to get to uh, Mayor, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, according to Real Clear Politics, who I'm not a polling truther. I do think some of the polls are total BS. But for the most part, you know, let's not bury our head in the sand. He is doing fairly decent in Iowa. Here's the real clear politics average in Iowa. Uh, you got Warren at 22%, Biden at 17%, Buttigieg at 16%, Sanders at 13%. Uh, I don't particularly take this real clear politics average as gospel because the average is obviously adding in many different polls. And I've looked at many of the Iowa polls. And they overwhelmingly, every single one of them, wildly older sample older people and undersample younger people. So I don't think Bernie Sanders' support is that low. I also think Bernie Sanders, which I'm going to get to in a minute, is doing something different than the other candidates. He's doing something called distributed organizing, which I want to talk about in a little bit, which the voters he's targeting will not actually show up in polls because they don't get phone calls from polling companies. So I don't think that's the exact number, but for argument's sakes, Pete Buttigieg is in contention in Iowa. Shockingly. Shockingly. A man who, as far as I can tell, has absolutely zero qualifications to run for anything, really. I mean, he's the mayor of a small town. Great. I don't... What has he done? And we're about to remind you what he has done. So, Pete Buttigieg, to me, you know, the establishment has basically, uh, you know, pick your poison. Let's take a look, because I think Mayor Pete is the latest establishment candidate that the media is jumping into, that the, uh, that the corporate media is embracing, to basically try and knock Bernie Sanders out of contention. So here's Pete Buttigieg's uh, recent ad uh, on why he's offering freedom while Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are offering tyranny. Candidate Pete Buttigieg has unveiled his plan to remake the U.S. health care system. Buttigieg wants to offer every American coverage under the federal Medicare program, but doesn't want to force anyone to give up their private health insurance plans. 
everyone is eligible. Even if you currently get your insurance through your employer at work, you'd still be able to buy into this public option if you wanted. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren believe that we have to force ourselves into Medicare for all, where private insurance is abolished. There are 160 million Americans who get their insurance from their employer. So union workers are a little skeptical because they see that as a loss of a benefit that they fought hard to obtain in the workplace. He's trying to focus on choice, not infringing on people's freedom to make that decision voluntarily. Because you now have an increasing number of Democratic presidential candidates who are signing up for Medicare if you want it. Mayor Pete said uh, Medicare for all who want it. That's a much better formulation. Working towards the universal health care system, but it doesn't wipe out private insurance. That's very hopeful, wasn't it? The music. Ugh. Just seems like, you know, that guy next door. Just a sweet, lovable guy. Doesn't want to impose. Doesn't want to rip away out of your bare hands your choice of your private health insurance. Oh, Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg, who's pushing this Medicare for all who want it. Right? Before we get to how absurd that is, let's get to what his plan actually talks about. Because his plan, like Joe Biden's plan, like uh, Kamala Harris's plan, is based on this notion that you could actually have a single-payer system, Medicare for all, still with a vibrant private health insurance industry. There is a difference, by the way. Other countries like Canada, other countries like Denmark, and other countries that have government-run health care, there's a difference between having government-run health care and private doctors existing and having government-run health care and a private health insurance industry. Those are two different things. So Canada, there are private doctors who don't, don't opt in to the government system and they just see patients privately, whatever, I don't know the payment between patient and doctor, but there are private doctors that aren't part of the government system. But Canada does not have, and I've spoken with people in Canada, it does not have this vibrant, vast private health insurance industry. Neither do Denmark and these other countries that Bernie Sanders cite. So, right, what, what Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden and, and these other candidates are talking about is an illusion. You can, when he says Medicare for all who want it, you can't have Medicare for all if you have parallel coverage through a private health insurance industry. The only way Medicare for all, meaning Medicare for every citizen works, is if the government is the dominant, basically the, the, the monopoly on health insurance. If you have the private health insurance industry as a viable, uh, as a uh, vast network like it is now, you, you have, uh, what is the term, Dupl duplicative coverage, and it doesn't work. There have been many studies about this, much research about this. The only way, that's why they call it single payer, the only way for Medicare for all to work is if it's the government system and the private health insurance is very, very farly, farly diminished. So right out of the gate, Pete Buttigieg, his plan doesn't make sense because you can't have Medicare for all who want it if you have this vast private health insurance industry. It's the same thing with Joe Biden. Also, you cannot have a vibrant Medicare program with a 
vibrant private health insurance uh, program because with, pro with the private health insurance industry still at the table, there are no price controls. There are no price controls under Pete Buttigieg's plan, under Biden's plan, under Kamala Harris's plan. The government cannot compel private health insurance uh, companies to offer uh, prescriptions or, or surgeries or whatever at a certain price. It just, that's, it's, it doesn't work that way. So what he's offering people is wonderful branding. That, that commercial will, go, will do well in Iowa because to people who don't live and breathe politics, to people who have not done the research, and it is complicated. The health insurance industry is complicated. So I don't even blame voters for getting suckered in to somebody like Buttigieg's message. But the point is, he is lying to the American people. And by the way, he's also just full of, all right, shit. This is Pete Buttigieg just last year. Gosh, okay. I, Pete Buttigieg, politician, do henceforth and forthwhile declare most affirmatively and indubitably, indubitably onto the ages that I do favor Medicare for all as I do favor any measure that would help get all Americans covered. Now, if you excuse me, potholes await. So that was Mayor Pete last year on the Medicare for All train, because he, like Kamala Harris, and frankly, like Elizabeth Warren, he floats with the wind. He floats as the wind goes. So that's the first part. But why has Pete Buttigieg floated with the wind? Why is he putting out, frankly, what is a Reagan-esque argument? You know, Reagan said, Oh my God, if, if Medicare passes, it will be the end of democracy. It will be the end of civilization as we known it. Well, follow the money, Lebowski. Follow the money. This is from Sludge. Pharmaceutical, health insurance, and hospital industry donors have flocked to Mayor Pete all year. As of mid-2019, he was second only to Donald Trump in overall campaign cash from donors in the health sector. As Democratic candidates, he was second to former Vice President Joe Biden in terms of pharmaceutical and health insurance donations. A sludge review of Buttigieg's recent third quarter campaign finance report shows that as he rails against Medicare for all, executives and other managers in the health sector have kept the money flowing. It's the money, Lebowski. Over 100 individuals in leadership, legal, consulting, or financial roles in health sector donated $200 or more to Pete for America between July and September. These donors include pharmaceutical industry leaders such as the chief corporate officers at drug maker Pfizer, the president of Aztec Pharmaceuticals, a state lobbyist for Biogen, a vice president of public policy at Novartis, and the deputy vice president at the nation's largest pharmaceutical trade association, Pharma, as well as attorneys for AbbVie, Johnson & Johnson, and Merck. The donors identified by Sludge gave a total of $97,000 to the Buttigieg campaign in the third quarter of 2019. Below are these donors' employers, occupations, and total amount denoted, donated from July through September. Woo! No wonder he's making a lot of money in these fundraising quarters. Health insurance is just flocking. The Buttigieg campaign provided Sludge with the following statement. 
Pete has always supported making Medicare or a similar public health insurance vehicle available to all Americans in order to achieve universal health care. He consistently describes his health care plan as a pathway. Oh, the word pathway. Elizabeth Warren uses it. Kamala Harris uses it. Mayor Pee Wee Herman uses it. A pathway to Medicare for all, which is likely why the health insurance industry has attacked his plan. For instance, our campaign website says, if private insurers are not able to offer something dramatically better, this public plan will create a natural glide path. Ooh, that's a new one, glide path, to Medicare for all. Simply put, he has the same end goal as some of the other candidates in the race, but differs on how to get there. Well, you know, the private health insurance industry has attacked Pete Buttigieg to the tune of $97,000 in the third quarter of 2019. Man, hey Jen, are you are you in the super chat? I would love somebody to attack me so fiercely that they give me $97,000. I would love the people who attack status quo to just give us a check for $97,000. But in this case, with Buddha Judge, there are strings attached. Ugh, if only we could be attacked for $97,000. Pete Buddha Judge is so full of I, I don't know what else to say, but this full of is being propped up by the media because the corporate media, the corporate media, first they tried Kamala Harris, you know, CNN gave her a, a lo loving, adoring town hall 24 hours after she announced her candidacy. When Kamala Harris couldn't hit, they switched to Beto O'Rourke standing on bars, floating and saying a whole lot of nothing. When Beto O'Rourke couldn't catch, they were so, so, so happy when Biden came in. Oh, God, uh, middle-class Joe is here to save the day. So the corporate media, the, the, Wall, the Wall Street banks, big oil, big pharma, they were so happy. But then they realized, oh, my God, this man can't construct a full sentence without stuttering and stumbling. He looks like he's running in, he's running in 2019, but he's still stuck in 1995. This guy is past his prime, and he's not ready for prime time. And frankly, we don't know if he's going to hold up. So they started giving adoring 24-7 free ad adoration to Elizabeth Warren. I'm not saying Elizabeth Warren hasn't run a good campaign. She has. But make no mistake, her polls going through the roof and her surge was vastly helped by a corporate media who gave her 24-7 ad adoring coverage. Very similar. Very similar to what Barack Obama enjoyed in 2007 and 2008. But now Elizabeth Warren, you know, she can't answer with a straight, give a straight answer on how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. She looks defensive in the debates when being attacked. Her polls aren't going down yet, but there are some vulnerabilities. So what are they doing? Now they start propping up Pete in a last ditch effort. And they're propping up Pete in particular in Iowa because the corporate media's plan, the entire corporate media and when I say corporate media, that includes the banks, that includes all the special interests, because they're all in bed together, these corporate entities. Their entire plan is to make sure Bernie Sanders loses Iowa. Because if Bernie Sanders loses Iowa, then they push the narrative. His time has passed. You know, he did well in 2016, but his time has passed. 
if he comes in second in Iowa to Elizabeth Warren, they'll say, you know, it's, it's time for him to pass the torch. Elizabeth Warren has taken his mojo. Elizabeth Warren has taken X amount of his support. And Bernie should really drop out and pass the torch to Elizabeth Warren. And is this sexist at this point? This is what they're, this is what they're going to say. I want to talk about somebody that, uh, you know, Mayor Pete seems to be very, uh, very friendly with these days. Uh, Mayor Pete and Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Did you see this, that Mark Zuckerberg was giving Mayor Pete advice? Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said Monday that his attempt to recommend a potential job candidate to Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign shouldn't be taken as an endorsement. Well, it's a little bit more than more than that. Reports have been showing that Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's king, because Facebook is now a kingdom, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's king, has basically been giving political campaign advice to Pete Buttigieg. Well, why is it that Pete Buttigieg and Mark Zuckerberg is so close? Could it be that Pete Buttigieg wants that Silicon Valley money? So I actually want to read to you. Mark Zuckerberg just wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that to me is truly, truly remarkable. And I want to read it to you. If, if you don't know the news, Mark Zuck, uh, Facebook is now creating a separate tab just for news, just for news. So if you didn't think that Facebook and other tech companies had too much power already as far as the news and what information you were exposed to, well, Welcome, welcome to this new news tab by Facebook, where Facebook is basically deciding who is the trustworthy news, who are the trustworthy news that get to show up in your Facebook feeds, meaning who are the trustworthy news and which news outlets are going to be buried. And we stopped even bothering with Facebook so long ago because Facebook, I mean, YouTube's bad, don't get me wrong. But Facebook is the worst of the worst as far as suppression. So I'm going to read this to you. Here's the link if you want to read along with me. Because uh, I think this is not just about how it affects status quo. This is about the ongoing information war that the establishment and the elites are waging by basically dictating what information you are exposed to. Mark Zuckerberg under heat for the fact that Facebook is now essentially playing God as a centralized body to decide what information you were exposed. He writes, When reporters at the Minnesota Star Tribune discovered that infant deaths had significantly increased in the state's child care facilities, they published a series of articles that ended up driving changes in the law. They won a Pulitzer Prize in 2013. And within months, the infant mortality rate had dropped. As someone married to a pediatrician and committed to investing in solving health challenges, I found this to be a powerful example of how journalism can help us make progressive, make progress on our biggest issues. I know what it's like to be the subject of reporting. I did my first interview at 19, and while I've gotten a little better, I don't know about that, at talking to journalists, people tell me I'm still not exactly a natural. Yes, because you're also a liar. Over the past 15 years, I've seen how the news has held Facebook accountable when we've made mistakes. This could be uncomfortable, but as I often tell Facebook employees, this kind of scrutiny is important. Facebook is part of so many people's lives, and we have a responsibility to engage with good faith criticism and use it to get better. 
Newspapers have broken important stories that have changed the way we operate. And ultimately, that's better, not only for our company, but also for society. Okay, so far, you got some nice bumper sticker material here. Nothing, nothing too terrible about this piece so far. Now we're going to get into the parts that are god-awful. God-awful. But the internet disrupted the business model for much of the news industry. When ads started moving from print newspapers to website, the econ- economics of news changed. Some effects have been positive. Internet services gave news outlets ways to reach new audiences. And research suggests people who get their news on social networks are exposed to a wider range of viewpoints. But breaking the link between publishers and their readers has also made it harder for the news industry to adapt financially to these changes. For the past several years, I've met with journalists, editors, and publishers to better understand the challenges and opportunities faced by the news business. I know there's more we could do to help. We started earlier this year with a 300 million commitment to help publishers, even especially in local news, invest in building their readership and subscription models. Local newspapers have been hit hardest by the technological changes, but they could have as much impact on daily lives as the major outlets do. We're supporting local reporting through Pulitzer Center and funding journalists who are covering underreported topics in local newsrooms. So what's great about this is who else, who else do you want deciding which outlets should be supported with that $300 million? And also, let's just call what that $300 million is. Facebook and Google and all these Silicon Valley outlets are destroying the news industry, are destroying uh, your right to know real information by suppressing certain outlets that are a little too uh, adversarial to power. And that $300 million is literally no different than philanthropy, philanthropy that Warren Buffett gives or that Jeff Bezos gives or that these rich D-bags who are pushing gentrification and pushing poor people out of their communities. But they're so, they're so sweet and loving because they give to charity. That's what that $300 million is. It's philanthropy. It's not investing in news. It's philanthropy and a way of saying, oh, look, we're not all bad, even though we're destroying. the. In, we, are, we are leading an information war against the American people and the world because Facebook is a global company, even though we are pushing pretty much anyone that's not CNN, the Washington Post, uh, the New York Times, pushing alternative news outlets essentially into an empty cave. Look, we're not all bad. We're giving $300 million to local news outlets to do intrepid journalism on what we decide is intrepid journalism. What could go wrong? I've wanted to support journalism directly in our apps for a long time, but we faced a dilemma trying to do more in the main news feed because most of our community consistently tells us that they want to see more updates from their friends, family, and communities, and less other content. For most people, social networks are still primarily, prima- primarily about being social. But over the past couple of years, we've started successfully building tabs outside the main news feed, like Marketplace for buying and selling items and watch for videos. Even if only 10 to 20% of our community in the U.S. uses one of these tabs, that's around 15 to 30 million people. We've been working with publishers on building an experience like this for news, and on Friday we launched the result of that work, Facebook News. Well, which publishers are they working with, dare I ask? 
For the first time, there will be a place in the Facebook app dedicated solely to high-quality news. Oh, okay. Well, what is high-quality news, Mark? Because people are still better at picking out the most important and highest-quality stories, the top stories in Facebook news will be curated by a team of diverse and seasoned journalists. Oh, okay. So some people we don't know who are quote-unquote diverse, they're going to decide what's high-quality journalism for you. Below that, there will be a wider section of stories that are personalized algorithmically. Each story will have clear branding and provenance from the news outlets that publish them. Publishers have told us over the years that is particularly important. So, I mean, there you have it. If, if you want the news, uh, Facebook is going, Facebook has hired a team of uh, diverse journalist and uh, they through their wisdom of course they're not biased at all uh, through their wisdom uh, they're just going to decide what you should see what's the important news for you to see and I'm going to venture to guess that that important news isn't Flint Michigan and the fact that they don't have water for five and a half years clean water for five and a half years and I'm going to guess that that important news probably isn't police beating the living shit out of environmental activists and Native Americans in North Dakota, South Dakota, Louisiana, and other places. And I'm going to venture to guess that that important news that those people are going to decide to show you on Facebook isn't, you know, state governments reversing cities' decision to raise the minimum wage. And I'm going to guess those uh, journalists deciding what news you should see aren't actually going to put out positive news or, or examples of governments with single-payer healthcare systems. And I'm going to guess that they're not going to put out anything about expanding government services or, uh, you know, massive, massive stories on state and local corruption. Just my guess. Do you think they are? Do you think that's what Facebook has in mind with high-quality journalism? We've also built tools to help publishers increase their subscribers by driving people from Facebook links to publisher websites. Publishers are able to decide when a reader sees a paywall. They control the relationship with their readers with subscription payments taking place directly on publishers' websites. We don't take any cut of the subscription revenue because we want as much of the revenue as possible to go towards funding quality journalism. So who are these partners? Who are the partners that Facebook has deemed quality journalism that they are going to elevate in Facebook's newsfeed? Uh, apparently, they are partnering with the ABC News, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, BuzzFeed, the Dallas Morning News, and many more publishers. Well, talk about diverse. Talk about diverse. So basically, Facebook has a uh, shadow committee of diverse and seasoned journalists who probably came from the very outlets that they are now partnering with. Washington Post, New York Times, ABC News, CNN. So those folks are going to decide which outlets are trustworthy which outlets have high-quality journalism, and they're going to pump your Facebook feed with well-known, corporately-owned corporately establishment networks 
like the Washington Post, the New York Times, 